Good morning, everyone. Uh, just a couple of things. I'm so proud of you guys. Uh, we made uh, 211 uh, Operation Christmas Child 2 boxes. Uh, so uh, that will be going out. A lot of groups helped with that, and so wanted to let you know that. And secondly, uh, we had 135 stockings that people actually filled, and uh, that will uh, care for our community too. So uh, way to go, guys. A lot of bell ringers this week. Did you get your bell rung? There are going to be some football players today that are going to get their bell rung, I can tell you. Well, hey, we're so glad you're here. And last weekend, uh, we started this new series called Weird Christmas. And I talked about how there's some real kind of weirdness that goes on with Christmas. And more than maybe any other holiday, it makes the highs higher and the lows even lower. And emotions run quite high during Christmas, especially in families. Uh, you know, you get to the family dinner and someone starts talking about politics and people start fighting and then they start arguing about who's the best football team. And, you know, weird stuff just has a way of, like, coming out uh, at Christmas. Now, this past week, uh, I received uh, several emails and texts and uh, Facebook messages of how people were sharing with me of how they could really identify with the weirdness that comes to Christmas, of how uh, sometimes Christmas is not very normal. And uh, how, in many ways, it can create higher highs and lower lows. Uh, a high last week was we had our child uh, dedications. There were four kids that were dedicated, and two of them were infants. And uh, we have uh, pictures here. Aren't they cute? And uh, the parents of these two little infants are brand new parents. So uh, they're experiencing Christmas for the very first time uh, with their kids. And uh, they're around the Christmas tree, and uh, they're so excited. And uh, you could just see the glow kind of in their face of uh, how uh, God's working uh, with them. And they're so thankful and appreciative and all of that. But then, of course, there were some folks that sent me a, a text or an email. And they shared how this was going to be maybe one of the toughest Christmases uh, that they've ever had. That at the Christmas dinner table, there'll be an empty chair. At the uh, Christmas exchange, there'll be somebody missing. I talked to a guy in our small group this week. That's why you need to be in small groups so when you go through stuff, you don't go through it alone. And uh, he called me and he let me know that his dad died this week. And I was just thinking about it, that last week he was sitting in a chair, just like many of you are, and everything changed. And everything's not normal for him now, and it's weird. And I tried to comfort him and reach out to him the ways that I could, but it's going to be different for him. I think a friend of mine whose uh, dad, uh, they found a, a lesion on his uh, pancreas, and he's from Las Vegas, and so a couple of weeks ago they said, oh, don't worry about it, it's not cancerous, but we want you to come back in for a follow-up. And somehow they misread the scan that they took, and they found a tumor actually on his pancreas, and he has pancreatic cancer. I think of a mom and dad who uh, shared with me that they have a son that has really started to rebel in some ways. And uh, they found out that he was experimenting with drugs, was sexually uh, promiscuous. And they were just beside themselves. I remember the mom last week just coming up just with tears in her eyes. And, and she's like, all of this is happening, you know, during Christmas. But if you remember last week, I tried to tell you that whatever you're going through, and some of you are going through some tough stuff, leading up to Christmas, that whatever you're going through, that God gets it, like He understands. And He's present, and He doesn't walk away, and He's with you, and He'll give you the strength that you need to get through any circumstance. Now, last week, uh, we talked about how Joseph was one of these people. He's looking forward 
uh, to a season of joy and he, his world gets rocked when he finds out that his fiance is pregnant and he's not the one who has caused this. And this hard news comes his way and we're not sure if, if Joseph's going to keep his head or not or if he's just going to kind of lose it. And he learned how to keep his faith even in a very tough season. He kept his hand up to God's hand and he said, God, I want you to help me navigate this process. I mean, Joseph, he put on a clinic of how to keep your head in all situations. He showed us how it can be done. And hopefully some of you were inspired last week with Joseph's story. Now today we're going to look at Joseph's counterpart to the Christmas story, Mary. And the story begins with Mary just being a 14 or 15 year old uh, teenage girl. And she's from this small little town. But all of a sudden her world is like turned upside down. And an angel of the Lord comes to her and says these words. Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Then the angel went on to say this. Do not be afraid, Mary. Now, why do you think angels tell people all the time, do not be afraid? Because if you see an angel, you should be afraid. You know what I mean? Like you don't walk through very much of life going, oh yeah, I saw an angel last night, you know? No. Uh, There's a lady at our first steps with Chris, and you should go to that too. But her daughter's named Angel, you know? And uh, I was like, you know, is she an angel all the time? She's like, oh no, you know what I mean? So when an angel comes, the first thing usually throughout Scripture that it always says is do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Now, the text says that at first Mary's kind of troubled, partly because she is bringing into the world the Son of God. Like people have been waiting for 700 years. And just think, some of you are mothers. You've brought a child into this world. And you remember how you were kind of nervous and anxious. And, you know, you're, you're pregnant and you're waiting for everything to happen. And you want the child to be great and everything. But now just think of having the pressure. By the way, it's the Son of God. Don't screw up, Mary. You know? You're like, really? Yeah. But... Mary also is not just delivering any baby, but like I said, it's the Savior of the world. And maybe even more so, Mary's kind of troubled because she's wondering how the mechanics of like, how is this going to work? In fact, she timidly asks this question, um, uh, uh, how will this be? Like, how is this going to happen? Because, don't know if you know this or not, angel, I'm a virgin. And she's like, I know I haven't taken my freshman biology class yet, but I don't think this can happen. And she is kind of like, uh, how's this going to work? You know, people sometimes will come up to me and they'll ask me, is it appropriate to ever question God? And, And Mary had no problem, did she? She questions God immediately. She's like, what's going on here? What, like? What's going to happen? I mean, God knows how seriously Mary and Joseph took their vow and their covenant to stay sexually pure throughout their courtship and engagement. So through the angel, God gives Mary this assurance. She says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. (laughs) Isn't that great? Like, you get this news, and now all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit's going to come up on me. You're like, whoa. And she's 14, folks. She's not 25. She's not 35. She's 14. Don't worry about breaking your covenant with Joseph. It doesn't have to be done the way that you think biology class works. This baby will be conceived by the Holy Spirit. And then Mary kind of lets all of this settle in. And can you imagine? I mean, the angel's there, Mary's there, and Mary's like... And the angel's like, are you in? 
Like, Mary, are you in? Like, are you going to do this thing? Are you going to commit to this? And then she said these incredible words, and it's impacted me all week. In verse 38 in chapter 1, she says, I am the Lord's servant. Think about that. You're 14. All this happens, and you have a chance to say something. And this is what's so amazing, folks. It's because sometimes we get so used to this story. All of heaven, all the heavenly hosts, they are waiting on a 14-year-old girl to make up her mind. And then she does. And she says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. She's like, I'll obey. I'm in whatever you want. The big idea I want you to get this morning is exactly those words that Mary says, I am the Lord's servant. In fact, let's say that out loud together on three. One, two, three. I am the Lord's servant. I love that phrase. I am the Lord's servant. You know, sometimes I wonder what would happen here at the jar through the lives of each person who's sitting here today if that every time that the Spirit spoke to you, every time you felt a prompting, every time you felt like I should do something or say something, That if we would just say, you know what, I'm the Lord's servant. God, whatever you want me to do, I'm available. I'm the Lord's servant. What you ask me to do, I will do. Where you ask me to go, I will go. And I'm not on your, I'm not on, I don't want you on my program, God. I want to be on your program. Can you imagine between now and Christmas Day? Every single person in this place, everyone that's down your row, every single person just made a commitment that between now and Christmas Day, that if there was a prompting, if there was a whisper, if God asked you to do anything, everyone in the jar would just say, I'm in. I'll do it. What kind of impact do you think we would have on this community if every single one of us just said, I'm in? God, I'm the Lord's servant. I am your servant, Lord. If you ask me to do anything this week leading up to Christmas, I'll do it. Instead of brushing maybe God away and say, well, I don't have time for it or it wouldn't be possible. What if all of us just said, absolutely, I am the Lord's servant. It gives me great joy, God. It gives me great joy when you ask me to do something, God. When I get a prompting, when I get a whisper, it gives me great joy to do it. God, I'll do it. You know, the reality is many of you have the names of people on your heart that you know they're going through a hard, hard time right now. Maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's a neighbor, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's someone else. And it grieves you. You hurt because you know the pain that's going on in their life. And you know that even though your life isn't perfect, since you've been trying to connect closer to God, it's just like all of a sudden some of the weight isn't on me anymore. I don't have to carry it anymore. And you've got the name of a person. You've got the name of a friend, a coworker, someone in your family. And it's decision-making time. And you're kind of like, should I say something or shouldn't I say something? What if they say no? What if I walk across to the neighbor, I walk across to a friend, or I walk across the company floor, and I build this relationship, will it kind of junk everything up? And all of these things kind of rush through our mind. But folks, what if all of us would just say that when God brings someone to our mind, we would simply say, God, if you want me to invite them next Sunday, if you want me to invite them to Christmas, if you want me to do a good deed for them, if you want me to walk across the room to care for them, if you want me to give some money to someone, God, whatever you want, I am the Lord's servant this week. I'll do it. Can you imagine? Can you just imagine what God would do if every single one of us just said, hey, I'm in. I'm in. So Mary says that. She says, hey, I'm in. I am the Lord's servant. And you're not going to believe what this girl does next. You know what she does next? 
she writes a worship song. She's like, I am so excited about this opportunity that I'm going to write a worship song. And she didn't just write any worship song. She wrote maybe the most memorable worship song in the Bible. It's called the Magnificat. Entire denominations are singing this song today, and they'll sing it throughout. In fact, we sang a part of it when we, when we sang, uh, My soul, my soul magnifies the Lord. That's exactly what Mary said. And so entire denominations, churches are singing this today. Why? Because a 14-year-old girl one day decided, you know what? There is a faith in me, and God is speaking to me so much that I have to worship him, and I'll write it down. And let me just say this, folks. Do Do not ever underestimate the spiritual depth of a teenager. You never know what a teenager just might do with their life. So let's read this. Here's this worship song. She say, uh, Mary writes, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. He's like, I'm a nobody. She's saying, I'm a nobody. I'm from a nowhere town. No one knows me. But guess what? From now on, all generations will call me blessed For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. She's like, I'm in the younger generation. And I know what some of the older generations say about me. I'm only 14. But you know what? God chose me. He has performed mighty deeds. He has filled the hungry with good things. And it goes on and on and on and on. On Friday, uh, I drove down to Noblesville to visit my uh, in-laws and uh, my brother-in-law and my nephews. They were in this Christmas program. And so I'm driving from Noblesville, and uh, my wife's driving uh, from Elwood, where she's working. And we had to drop our daughter off uh, for her first slumber party. And it was a family that was in the church. I mean, you know, you got to be careful about those church people leaving your daughters with, you know. And, uh, no, they're great people. But, um, so we did that. And then my youngest daughter, Shiloh, uh, she's like, Dad, can I watch a movie on the way down? And I'm like, yeah, sure. And so we got her hooked up with my laptop, and she's watching a movie, and we're driving down. And then I decided, you know what, I could go ahead and I could listen to sports talk radio. I do that a lot when I'm in the car. Or I could go ahead and I could listen to the news. But I said, God, right now I'm just going to give this time to you. I'm going to commit to you these next 45 minutes. And I pulled out a Christmas CD by Chris Tomlin called uh, Glory in the Highest. And I'm singing and I'm praising God. And, you know, every once in a while, one hand goes up and then steering wheel, you know. And, and uh, Shiloh's in the background. And finally she's like, Dad, I can hear you. <laughs> I'm like, come here, kid. Man, you know, like, no, I didn't. I said, turn up your music. And, I, and I'm doing all this. And then all of a sudden there were some quiet Christmas songs that hit. And all of a sudden my heart just started, like, getting really soft. And then a, a song came on called Emmanuel. And for some of you, maybe you don't know what that word means. But that word means that God is with us. And all of a sudden, I'm like in this car. I'm driving to Noblesville. And it's like God is with me. And I was thinking about it. You know, I could have spent that time any way. I wanted to spend it. But I would have been the lesser for it if I would have done so. And I just want to encourage you, just like I did last week, that from now until Christmas, just take 10 minutes each day and just pull away from the chaos of consumerism and the the frantic pace that you're going and pull away And listen to some hymns. Or get out the Bible and read the Christmas story. Or just be quiet and say, God, I'm just, I am your servant right now. So, whatever you want to say. 
Well, shortly after uh, the birth of Jesus, the young Mary meticulously kind of carries out all of the religious rituals that were there. There were a couple that she had to do now that she had a child. So much so did, did she follow this that in the second chapter in verse 39, it says this, When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord. So they didn't just do a couple of things. They did everything. They returned to Galilee in their own town of Nazareth. I think Mary was so honored to be able to bring into the world the Messiah. That she was like, I'm going to do everything that the church of its day, the temple, would would tell me to do. And I'm going to commit everything to him. I'm going to do everything under my power to make sure that I raise him right. Verse 40 says, And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. Mary was a great mom. I was thinking about it this week. I was thinking about some of the great moms I, I know. And first I thought about my own mom, and I started thinking about some other moms. And then all of a sudden, some of your faces started coming to me. Because honestly, some of the greatest moms that I know, and some of the pain that some of them have gone through, are right here in the jar. And uh, every once in a while, I'll, I'll see your kids, the jar kids, I'll talk to them, or a middle school or high school kid, some of your adult kids. And all of a sudden, I'll start talking to them, and I can tell that they feel loved. That they feel loved by their family, that they feel loved by God, that they really feel loved. And that they're growing in their faith, and they're having wisdom, and they're making good decisions in a very complicated world. And so much of the good stuff is a result of the investments of some of you who are just fantastic moms. Mothers that would make Mary proud. In fact, I was thinking about maybe doing a little riff of Proud Mary. (laughs) Proud Mary, keep on burning, rolling. Oh, my God. You are not the, the backups to Tina Turner. I can tell you that right now, right? Rolling. All right. All those that are white, you're horrible. Uh, we need to learn from other people. Um, but I'll just kind of spare you on that. But I would like to just appreciate and honor all of our mothers today. And so would you join me in uh, just thanking them? Now, Jesus doesn't stay a little baby. He grows up, and Mary stays connected to him. And there's this really humorous scene in John chapter 2. Jesus and all the disciples and Mary, they're invited to this big wedding reception. And wedding receptions back in Jesus' day were not just 45 minutes, okay? They were multi-day experiences. There was like this real party that was going on. I was thinking about my own wedding reception this week. And uh, we didn't have it at the church. We kind of, you know, we were one of those first people that kind of went somewhere else. And so we went to uh, a lodge and we had dancing and it was a sit down uh, meal. And I'll never forget uh, some of the church ladies that were there when all of a sudden Heavy D and the boys came on and said, Now that we found love, what are we going to do? with it. And Jennifer and I are like, oh, yeah, but you know, and you see, I mean, people's teeth were falling out. I mean, it was like, it was just bad, you know? Now I was thinking we didn't leave that place until one o'clock that night. Okay. But that was just small compared to what these big Jewish wedding receptions were like. It was party time. Well, finally, during this huge party, uh, there's something that embarrassing kind of happens. And uh, they run out of wine. And everybody's like, well, what's the host going to do? It's really embarrassing. I mean, it's a downer for everybody. And the text in John chapter 2, verse 3, Mary turns to Jesus and says this. They have no more wine. (laughs) 
Now, this is so funny to me. God's sake about it. I mean, this is why it's so funny. Here's mom. They have no more wine. Kind of like that. Almost a whiny voice. You know, make the wine work. And I'm like, he's like the omniscient one. Like, he knows all things. He was there at the very beginning of all creation. Like, he gets it, but there's mom. Hey, they ran out of wine. Now, you know what's going on here, don't you? This used to happen with my mom all the time. During this season, we had chili. Chili and hot dogs. And uh, we were not a wealthy family, so my mom canned. And she would be stirring this chili, and then all of a sudden she'd go, well, we don't have any tomatoes. You know what that meant? Code word. Take your butt, go to the garage, and get some canned tomatoes. So I'd bring them back, you know, and I'd bring it back. Almost like the wise men, you know, I'd bring them my gift. Here, you know, and I'd bring it back. And uh, if you guys have ever been barbecuing before on your backyard, and you know you're cooking all of a sudden, and maybe your mom or your wife comes up to you, and they're like, we're out of ketchup. What's that code word for? Fix it. Go get some ketchup, right? This happens with my wife and I regularly on Saturday mornings. We'll be having breakfast together, having such an enjoyable time, and then she'll start kind of cleaning up, and I may help her a little bit, and then she'll just kind of look at me and she'll go, you know, the laundry baskets were kind of full, I think. You know what that means? Get your butt upstairs and start washing the laundry. You know what I mean? And I think all of this began when Mary looked at Jesus and said, Hey, they're out of wine. Like, fix it. You know, significantly, why don't you just fix the problem? And then if that wasn't enough, it goes on into the story in which she goes over to the servants who are holding the water. And I can just imagine her going, Hey, that's my boy. And whatever he says, you need to do it. You know, and now you got the servants all freaking out like, oh, man, you know, don't spill the water, dude. And Jesus comes over and he turns water into wine. And I can imagine Jesus uh, later on walking through the day and their eyes kind of catch maybe later at night or something. And he's like, "Uh, Mom, you want eggs and milk in the morning, too? You know, what do you want me to do? Now, I bring this up, folks, because sometimes what happens is that with the story of Jesus, we forget his human side and his developmental years. Sometimes people will come up to me and say, Jesus just doesn't understand me because he never had a family. He doesn't know what it's like to have parents. He doesn't know what it's like to have siblings. He doesn't know what it's like to have aunts and uncles. He just doesn't know because he was never in a family. Let me tell you, from everything that scholars tell us, Jewish families were very close. They all lived in the same house. They were all there together. And since Jesus wasn't married, he stayed with Mama and Daddy for the first 30 years. And all the aunts and uncles and all the family were there for 30 years, folks. It wasn't until the last three years of his life that he actually traveled and ministered to other people and was away from the family. So don't ever think that Jesus does not understand the daily grind that you're going through. Don't ever think that he doesn't understand the daily grind of what it is to deal with the family and the arguments and things like that because he does. Now let's fast forward Jesus' life a little bit to what is maybe the darkest moment. And Jesus eventually is arrested He's convicted. And all of the other followers, all these people who said, Jesus, we'll never leave you. We'll never abandon you. We'll never walk away. They all leave. And mainly they leave because they think, okay, if he's getting crucified and I'm associating with him, then maybe I will experience that. So what happens is they all run away. They desert him. They abandon him. His best buddy, Peter, who says, Jesus, I'm with you always. He denies him three times. And he even, uh, the Greek kind of shows a, a curse word that he denounces knowing him. And Jesus is like, this is my darkest hour. 
Folks, I just want to ask you this morning, under what circumstances do you occasionally deny Christ? Under what circumstances do you kind of slink in the shadows and just kind of not let people know that you're a Christ follower, that you go to church, that your faith is important to you? After my uh, eighth grade year, my family uh, moved from Marion, Indiana to Anderson. It's only 30 miles, but uh, it felt like a totally different galaxy when I walked into Anderson Madison Heights High School for the very first time as a freshman boy. Now, I recently had been baptized and I was uh, living out my faith, but when you get to high school, I kept thinking, man, I want people to like me. And if I want them to like me, then I can't be sharing about my faith too much. That just wouldn't be cool. At least that's the way I was. So I never really expressed my faith at all. But uh, one day after uh, a football practice, I'm sure some of you are thinking, with a body like this, you played football? Serious? One year, folks. Just one year. Okay. And um, so after football practice, this kid comes up to me and he's like, hey, what's your dad do? Like, where does he work? Now, some of you know that my dad was a pastor, a PK. And if you're a PK, the last thing in the world you want is for any other person in high school to know that you're a preacher's kid. And so I'm at this moment in my life where I'm like, Do I say that he's a pastor? Do I tell him that I follow Jesus? Do I just let it go? And then all of a sudden there was like this brilliant thought that came to my mind. He was a tool and die maker before he was a pastor. So I wouldn't be lying. I'll just tell him that. And so I go and I tell this kid he's a tool and die maker. And I'll never forget that day after football practice, my dad pulling up in his T-1000, and I denied even knowing the calling on his life. And I remember sitting in that chair, and, and all of a sudden, it was like I didn't just deny my dad. I denied my heavenly father. And so this kind of worked on me for that week. And I remember later that week, I was like, man, I can't say it in the locker room. But maybe, you know, when the class time, when the, when the passing of times, you know, the different uh, the time between the two classes. And so everyone's at their lockers. And I walk up to this kid and I said, hey, just wanted you to know my dad, he used to be a tool and die maker. But he's a pastor. And... Uh, I like going to his church. And then I walked away. You see, I felt so awkward because I didn't know whether I should step up or whether I should kind of step back. Do any of you ever feel that way? Maybe I'm just alone. For 17 years, I've been a pastor, and uh, they often ask me to serve on different uh, boards. And so I'm on the Y board here, and I've served on the the, uh, Head Start board and some different organizations. And what they always do at the end of the year, they have uh, a dinner where they invite everybody to come in, and they kind of celebrate the year. And for the longest time, I always hated these dinners, and this is why. Because they'll sit you at a table, and it's a round table, and typically there's a lot of, like, movers and shakers, you know, that are in the community. And I'll never forget, you know, like, one time I was sitting, one time, and they're like, we want you to introduce yourself to each other, kind of get to know your table. And all of a sudden the first guy's like, well, I'm an attorney here in town. And then the next guy was like, well, I'm a physician. And then this woman said, well, I'm a, I'm a businesswoman here. 
I'll never forget there was one time where it was a person, they're like, I used to be the mayor of Muncie. And then it finally got to me, and I'm like, uh, pastor, uh, and, and I'm a Bible teacher, and my boss was a carpenter who lived 2,000 years ago. And that's how cool I am. And I'm, I'm worried when I'm in those situations how I come across. I really am. I want to be able to make a good impact. And I want to represent the God of the heavens and the earth in the best way. So I was just thinking about it today. What about you? Are you ever in social settings where you're tempted to kind of downplay that you're a Christ follower? Or downplay that you go to church? Or downplay that you follow Christ and you're actually proud of it? I was thinking that many of you actually will be having Christmas parties with uh, your coworkers at some time. And I have no doubt that when you're at these parties, someone's going to come up and they'll ask you. They'll say, hey, what are you doing for Christmas? I just wonder if you'll just do a flyer this year and talk about whatever it is you're going to do. Or that you might actually step up. I mean, Christmas, like the moment that Christ comes into the world and you'll say, you know what, actually, I'm going to church. Or I have all of my family. They come over and we read the Christmas story. We read it together as a family. And Christ has changed my life. Just 30 seconds. Christ has actually changed my entire way of thinking. And if you'd ever like to talk about it, I'd love to do that. I wonder just how many of you will take that step. This, uh, this season I've been praying quite a bit, especially as we're leading into a, a new year where we're going to focus on prayer. And uh, I was praying one morning, and, and I felt like God uh, just kind of told me, Chris, you need to love your neighbors. I'm like, duh, God, like that's, you know, the two biggest commandments, love the Lord your God and what? Love your neighbor. I have a hard head. So I started thinking about it, and actually the last two years, my neighbors that live around me, I've been slinking kind of back. And uh, when we first moved there, I got to know all of our neighbors. We went around, we did nice, kind acts, and then we had kids, and then life gets busy, and all of a sudden, I just, I forgot about my neighbors. And so I felt really convicted about this, and so uh, Jennifer and I kind of put together a little plan, and uh, on Thursday night, I got my uh, two girls on their bicycles, and they're all bundled up because they want to ride their bikes, and they have a flashlight because it's like 6.30 or 7 at night and they're, you know, going through. Sometimes these things aren't real fun, folks. When God asks you to do something and they're like yelling at each other and they're hitting walnuts and, you know, I mean, it's just like not so great of an experience. And then all of a sudden my wife pulls up in a car. She rolls down the window. She's like, hey, how you doing? I'm like, good. She's like, oh, you're going to go love on the neighbors, are you? And all of a sudden I had to change my attitude and uh, this is what we took. We have a picture of it. We just got a little uh, goody thing of banana bread and party mix. And we put it in there and then we had our uh, invitation. Actually, every single one of you have one of these invitations in your program today. And we put that on there and we went to all six of our neighbors and we knocked on doors and we said, hey, just want to wish you a Merry Christmas. We'd love to have you come to the jar on uh, Christmas Sunday or Christmas Eve. And... Uh, we did all that. So I was just thinking, what about you? Like, what are you going to do? How willing are you to step up this week to reach out to a coworker, a neighbor, a friend, someone in your family, invite them on Christmas Sunday or Christmas Eve? Or will you just kind of do what I did the last couple of years and just kind of slink back and take a Christmas off? Well, I think Mary played it really well. 
Because all these other disciples are running away, they're abandoning, they're leaving Jesus. And Mary's willing to risk her very life. In John chapter 19, verse 25, they're at the crucifixion. And look at what the text says. It says, near the cross of Jesus Christ stood who? Mary, his mother. Mary didn't fade away. She didn't back out when the going got tough. She didn't slink into the shadows. She said, I will stay in the shadows of the cross as long as it takes. I will not leave this place. If you want to put me on the cross, go ahead. But I will stand here. And I can imagine her giving encouraging words to her son. It's okay. I'm here. The same mom who swaddled and cared and nursed now is on the cross. This is her son. And she is there saying, I'm here. And she never abandoned him. She said, you can kill me, but I will not leave his side. You know, that must have meant so much to Jesus on that day. To see her love, to see her loyalty, to see her courage. And friends, I think it means a lot to Jesus today. I think it means a whole lot when we choose to say, I will, I will stand for you. I'm the Lord's servant. I'll be loyal. It means a lot when you tell other people that you follow him. That you're proud of that. That he changed your life. Mary was rock solid. She stood at the foot of the cross and she watched all of this. And she said, I will not leave him. Incredible woman. Her story challenges me. And today, 2,000 years from now, the whole reason, folks, you're sitting in a chair where you're at right now is because when the angel of the Lord came to this 14-year-old girl, she said, I am the Lord's servant. I'm in. You ask me to do whatever, and I will do it. And she's left quite a legacy. And she continued throughout the early church. Our uh, youth had a Halloween party uh, this year, and I was invited to it, and so I went to it. And when we got there, it was in this little garage, and then they went outside, and they had uh, all these little fun little games that they did. And uh, when I got there, there were all of these teenage girls and one boy. Now I'm thinking, man, if you're a teenager, you're like, that's pretty good odds, you know? If I'm uh, the parent of one of those girls, I'm like, don't even think about it, you know. And uh, so finally the party ends. We're all done. We're driving home. And I thought to myself, those girls are growing up in one of the toughest times in history. Every single day, their minds are bombarded with airbrushed, pencil-thin, sexed-up models. Is that who they're supposed to be like? Is that the role model that they need? I mean, teenage girls in our society, when you see them, be kind because they have a tough go of it. And a lot of their heroes are either strung out on drugs or in rehab, they're in jail. Uh, they're going through all kinds of stuff. So who are teenage girls supposed to be following? Who are their models today? It makes me sometimes wish that as parents, you would actually pull the story of Mary out and you would read it to them and give the intimate details of her faith and her vision that this was an extraordinary woman and we want you to be that kind of woman. And I've been thinking this week that as a jar, from the very early days, we have always been committed to seeing women in ministry. And we have some extraordinary women who serve. We've had amazing women on our staff. We've had amazing women teachers. We've had amazing women take entire kind of uh, volunteer roles and run with it and do some amazing things. We've ordained women into the ministry. A couple of weeks ago, I was driving in the car, and uh, Shiloh's in the back, and we're talking to each other, and she just kind of shouts out. She goes, Daddy, can girls be pastors? And I was so excited in that moment that I could say, yes. 
And she said, well, good, because I'm going to become a pastor and a hairdresser. And and I'm never going to leave the jar. So I was like, man, at least I got one. You know what I mean? And I'm so grateful that my daughters are being raised in a church where they see women leading. Absolutely. That she can be a leader, she can be a teacher, she can be a player in any area she wants. Whatever God would call her to do, as long as she feels gifted and has those gifts, they can be used for His glory. Let me say it again. I am so proud of the women in this church. You are some of the most generous, kind, caring, vision-oriented, will do whatever it takes. Uh, there's a group of women right now, they're, they're making all kinds of like uh, these scarves that are supposed to look real cool and everything, and they're making them for all the women, like at the YWCA, and they're going to care for them. And I'm like, that's the way to go. I'm so proud of the women in this church. So as I close today, I want to just kind of close like I did last week. And what I want to do is give each one of you just kind of a moment that you would have with God. Because there's so much craziness at Christmas. Just to give you a moment with God. And I actually want to give you a moment where you'd be quiet enough that God could actually speak to you. A few moments where he could encourage you. He could challenge you. And the way we're going to do this is Derek's going to just play a a very simple chorus from a fantastic song called Speak to Me. And then I'm going to kind of guide you in a few questions that you can ask God. You can ask God today. The same God that Mary asked questions of. And then you can allow him to speak to you. So uh, Derek's going to kind of lead us in this song, and uh, then I'll lead us through this guided prayer time. So we'll turn off the lights and uh, just have a moment with God. Speak to me, speak to me, through your word and through your spirit, speak your words of life. Speak to me, speak to me, I am listening, I am waiting, speak to me. So kind of the first question I'd like you to ask God that he could speak to you about is this one, that God, who do you want me to invite this Christmas Sunday or Christmas Eve. And whoever that name is, I'd encourage you to write it down. We we tend to be more accountable to doing things when we write them down. And maybe actually you've been slinking back and you're like, I just need to start by saying, God, I'm sorry. I haven't been very courageous. I haven't been very loyal. But I don't want to do that anymore. And so... God, whoever you ask me to invite, I'll do it. If I have to walk across my work floor, I'll do it. So I'd like you to just take a couple of moments, just bow your head, quiet yourself, close your eyes, allow God to speak to you. If there's a name that he gives, just write it down. She prayed to the God of the heavens and the earth. 
And he actually spoke to her. And folks, you know what? The reality is that God still speaks today. He wants to speak to you. And so whatever circumstance you're dealing with today, whatever struggle you're dealing with, I have a feeling that it's almost come to the point where you're just close to being tempted to just lose your head. And so right now I'd like you to take a moment and just ask God, God, show me where I've lost my head recently. And wherever that's at, if he speaks something to you, just confess it. Say, you're right, God. Man, I was wrong. I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? So spend some time with God, just like Mary did, and ask that question. finally, maybe some of you, you're ready to become a Christian. Like maybe you've been sitting there for a while. Maybe you've uh, come for the very first time. But God's been stirring something in you and you're kind of just wondering, why haven't I taken that step? Why haven't I made that decision? From that door right over there all the way to this table where I'll be standing is about 50 feet. So everyone has less steps to take than that. But maybe today, when you ask that question, is today the day, God, that you're asking me to be your servant? That I want you to be Lord of my life. I'm giving my one and only life to you. Maybe today's the day. You could... You could release so much baggage you've been carrying today. And so I'm going to be standing at that table. I'm going to invite the prayer team to come up. And if you'd like prayer for anything, they'd love to pray with you. And uh, I'd like you to just spend a moment right now asking God to speak to you about this question. If you've never made this decision. And then Derek will kind of uh, close us with this song.